0: You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 34. And yes, this episode is a little longer than our typical 30, but how often do we get to learn from an expert who has met and studied with the Dalai Lama and teaches courses at the Stanford Graduate School of Business? So I hope you will find every minute worthwhile. The episode is called How to Meditate All Day Long, Even as Busy Mothers. I woke up before my alarm thinking about this podcast interview that I'm now recording, feeling excited and nervous with ideas and thoughts about the topic swirling. My heart was pounding, and I decided to get up and head downstairs to write out some of my thoughts. A few minutes into that, I heard a little three-year-old girl in footy pajamas coming down the stairs, her perplexed voice calling, Mama, because she's used to finding me in my bed still asleep when she wakes up i beckoned her into my arms and kissed her while trying to finish up some notes for the podcast she snuggled me for a moment and then hugged me around the neck and swung around to my back climbing up to perch on my shoulders this is her favorite spot to be sitting up on my shoulders and it did make it difficult to type out my notes for the podcast but I put up with it because she was content and I needed a few more minutes to work. Suddenly I looked at the clock and realized that it was actually later than I thought and I needed to wake up my first grader or he was gonna be late for school. So I hustled up the stairs with Sally still on my back and jostled him awake. As usual, he wasn't thrilled to get out of bed because he's like his mother and he lay there while I tried to find some clean clothes for him to wear. Remembering that I'd done a load of laundry the day before, I rushed back downstairs and grabbed it out of the dryer, threw it in a pile on the couch, pulled out some pants and a shirt, and ran back up the stairs to deliver the clothes and a few threatening words about how we better get up or else. And then I was back downstairs to pop some Eggo waffles into the toaster while scrambling to pack a lunch. This scenario could go on, but you can picture it. You know it well. As moms, we're often managing many needs, tasks, to-dos, and events all at the same time. Some of us are mothers who also work outside of the home and have additional professional stresses. Some of us are mothers who work primarily in the home and juggle the needs of children all day long. Regardless of where we're working, we are working, and our lives and our minds often feel full to bursting. And that is why I'm so excited to introduce the guest for today's podcast, who's going to teach us how to incorporate meditation and mindfulness into our work as mothers. And before you scoff aloud, if you think you have no time or quiet or personal space for either of those things, within this interview, she's going to redefine some of those words for us. And I think you'll see just how important and how possible it is for us to incorporate these mindfulness practices in our daily lives. Our guest is Dr. Leah Weiss, a mindfulness expert and a researcher and lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. She teaches an extremely popular course there, which she created called Leading with Mindfulness and Compassion. This course was born out of her experience being trained by the Dalai Lama and wanting to bring home the important skills and practices that she learned from him to make them accessible to everyday leaders. She recently published her first book, How We Work, Live Your Purpose, Reclaim Your Sanity, and Embrace the Daily Grind. And today we're going to be talking about some of the concepts from her book and how they apply to our work both inside and outside of the home. So Dr. Leah Weiss, thank you so much for being here with 3 and 30 podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. So I just want to start out by saying what an honor it is to have someone with your level of expertise and education here to teach us. And I did want to add to that professional bio that you are a mother of three, so Ooh. I'm guessing you understand the scene that I just described, and <laughs> that you're familiar with the multifaceted work that mothers do. Am I right?
1: Oh yes, it's it's the best, and uh, yes, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just leave it at that. It's the best. I'll leave it at that. We've had a stomach bug this week, so we've <laughs> been in deep. <laughs> you get it. Oh, so, yeah. how old are your kids? Seven and
0: four and three. Oh, so similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And um, so I love the title of your book in the in the context of motherhood, how we work, live your purpose, reclaim your sanity, and embrace the daily grind. I just mm-hmm. think that's really applicable to moms. And but you did write this book not for moms. It's it's a business book, right?
1: Well. In my mind, I'll, to be totally honest, as I was writing, um, you know, it's I have my invisible audience that I'm in conversation with, and mm-hmm. really, the front of mind people I was in conversation with were my friends and colleagues who, you know, were in this moment in time where our careers are ramping and our families are ramping. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to um, develop as human beings, ourselves, and keep um, you know healthy relationships and all of that. So in my mind, this was um, the working parents of the world when I'm thinking about who my message is most for. Mm-hmm. But as you said, the reality is, all parents are working. <laughs>
0: yes. So true. And I have often found that I feel like the best business books or the best leadership books have so much crossover for moms, whether they're working outside of the home or inside of the home. It The the principles are so applicable.
1: Totally. And, and I'll never forget, you know, the first day I've gone back to work after each of my maternity leaves. Um, I've been like, oh, quiet. So like it's actually like you know the having the the work of being at home and the unendingness, the daily grind, and also the daily beauty, as you're saying. It's it's all just different kinds of work, and they're all valuable. Um, so I love that you're seeing this crossover because that's really really, really how I feel. And I hate when there's these divisions between moms, it's like the working moms versus the moms who are not who are working, but within the home, I think that this is the way you're framing it is so much healthier for all of us. And our kids.
0: Definitely. So I've heard you in a few places, um, on podcasts and interviews. And I've, I heard you talk about your experience, I think, as an undergraduate, with um being in northern India with Tibetan refugees, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how that maybe can apply to our work as mothers.
1: Yes, I saw and you know people who are younger than I am now who were taking care of fifty orphan children um, and they were very attentive to their mindset, to the kinds of rituals that they had in their home. I mean, for them, they're Tibetans and they're Tibetan Buddhists. So those rituals had a particular flavor. Um, But I think that what it got me really understanding is the importance of having these shared rituals that punctuate our day for ourselves as moms and also things that we do with our kids and for me, it's a helpful way. And everybody talks about like getting the optimal routine together for our kids. I think for me, framing that as like the rituals and routines that we do together, building into them a way that we think about and express our core values. So the the love we have for our children, um, the concern we have for our broader community, Um, putting all of those in the ins and outs of the day, I think um, in that context, because they were in such an extreme situation Mm -hmm. that I I couldn't imagine at that time, you know, I was like early 20s, could barely take care of myself, let alone imagine taking care of 50 kids Mm -hmm. who needed a lot of support. So they really like, in my mind also set the tone for the need for us as moms to value our own self care. And to see that as an integral part of um, taking care of other people, because if we lose it, then that affects everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do feel like meditation and mindfulness are often mentioned as forms of self-care when people talk about moms doing self-care. But it is thought of as more sitting practice, you know, sitting on a pillow in quiet and what I love about your work is that you s- redefine what, well, y- you give the literal translations, I guess, um, from the Tibetan language of what these different words mean. And so I was wondering if you could go into that a little bit for us. Um, what does the word um, meditation, the word in Tibetan is is, is gom, is that right? Mm-hmm. Gom, yeah, exactly. Gom. And what does Uh it mean, literally?
1: So literally, it means familiarization or habituation. So getting used to a way of being or a way of seeing, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important and consistent with the art of the possible for us as moms. I would say most mothers that I know aren't like, sitting around with an abundance of time. Um, So if we look at an idea like mindfulness or compassion or self-compassion, that we can only get it and cultivate it if we're sitting on a meditation cushion or in a retreat or, you know, some other situation that requires a context we're not going to do, then we've lost before we've started. If we Mm -hmm. view it as a mindset, something we can practice and familiarize ourselves with, While we're doing our lives, (laughs) then we like, then everything, even the challenges become the opportunity to grow and learn um, and develop both for ourselves and in the relationships with the children and people in our families we love.
0: Yes, definitely. And I loved, there's a passage from your book. I hope you don't mind if I just read it because I loved the way that you phrased it. It says, in fact, the Tibetan word gom that is customarily translated as meditation can be more literally rendered as familiarization. Forget Mm -hmm. incense and the lotus position, forget notions of getting rid of thoughts or navel gazing. Meditation is more broadly and more helpfully for most people getting to know our minds and hearts. And I loved that, that little shift in the definition of just becoming familiar with who we really are, getting to know our minds and hearts, and then applying that to our work. And you, you consistently talk about this isn't something that you just do, like you have your five minutes of meditation before you go to work, and then your five minutes at the end of the day. It's something that you can do all day long. Is that correct?
1: Right, because it's our perspective, because it's our mindset, um, and because we can apply it while we're doing the things that we need to be doing, and also because part of the way that we get better at it is falling off the wagon. You know, when if we're working on mindfulness and we get drawn away and we're distracted. Um, then that becomes an opportunity to recognize how that works and to get better at staying on point with what we're trying to do, if that's being attentive to our kids or doing some, you know, focused task in the small amount of time we have during their activity. Um, So using – we can make ways to to develop these capacities – in the context of our daily life, if we view it as a mindset, as Mm -hmm. opposed to something we can only do in a very particular way with eyes closed on a meditation cushion, Mm -hmm. um, which is not realistic for most of us. And even if we can do it and some moms are doing it and that's great. But what about the other 23 and a half hours of the day?
0: Right. That even if you're doing like a sitting practice that the other 23 and a half hours of the day, you can also be working through this meditation process just by familiarizing yourself with your mind and heart.
1: And we're modeling it. I mean, that's the other thing that motivates me a lot with you know, the practice of some of these tools, like modeling for my children. We're living in a world where distraction is being modeled all over the place. So I want to also make sure that we're showing them what quality attention and connection looks like. Or modeling things like self-compassion when we make a mistake and in showing them how we relate to ourselves when we're frustrated with ourselves. That's really important for us and for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And in that same passage of the book, it goes on to say, we can practice meditation anytime, anywhere on the spot. Work becomes an opportunity for us to train ourselves to have more conscious and compassionate intentions and to hold ourselves accountable to those intentions in the kindest possible way. And as such, not only is meditation compatible with work, but we can also think of work as meditation, wherein each moment of the workday is an opportunity to train our hearts and minds in good habits. And that, I, that really struck me. And if you switch out that word work for motherhood, you know, um, not only is meditation compatible with motherhood, but we can also think of motherhood as meditation. And I thought that that was profound to think yes. of that. So there's a three, like kind of a three-part mindfulness training um, process that is used in in the Tibetan language, it's called Dampasum. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Dampasum. And what does that mean? So it means it's a, it, it literally means um, three
1: good principles or the three good things are good in the beginning, the middle and the end. And what that actually, like if you unpack it, what does that look like? It means in the beginning of any activity, we want to set an intention. And then we want to do the activity with that intention in mind. And then at the end, we want to um, reflect on what we learned and then set new intentions. Um, So I can give a more specific example. So say like this afternoon, I'll be doing carpool. Um, So I can decide before I get in the car, okay, today during carpool, I want to be really calm and present for the kids. They've had a long day. Um, And I don't want to be like distracting myself that I'm rolling in, like, you know, texting in the waiting line to get my kids and like distracted on the taking a call while we're on the way that I'm just like for this particular carpool today, I'm focused on being present and available to them. So -hmm. then that's my intention. I've said it and I go into You know, I start driving over to school and I get in the line that you have to wait in and follow along with the process. And um, and then I go through the routine of picking the kids up and shuttling them where they need to go. And along the way, of course, there will be like a text that comes in or maybe my sister will call and I'll have to recommit to that intention I made to not take the call or sneak a look at the text um, then I, those things are going to wait. And I'm signaling to myself and the kids in my car, I'm here with you now. This is what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, and maybe I forget, at, like, you know, I answer the call of my sister before I even realize it and then say, oh, wait, wait, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to call you later when it's better time for me to talk, get back mm-hmm. off the phone move on. So at the end of this, I've dropped everybody off, like get my kids home, they're snacking, and I have a moment to think about, reflect on how did that go? It's like, well, that felt, was that intention something that was useful to me? Yeah, that's aligned with something I care a lot about. How did the experiment go? it was pretty good. There were some times that pulled my attention away, but I quickly remembered and recommitted. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I want to set a new intention for the next phase. So maybe that's like I'm pulling dinner together. Um, and so I want to, you know, maybe I want to carry on that attitude or maybe there's something else I want to focus on. Um, so it's just making these activities we're already doing, setting a clear intention a discrete like period of time and then checking back in with ourselves, like how did that go um, in lessons learned and then making another rev on it.
0: So that's the three part, the Domp Assume, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. You're basically setting an intention, practicing that intention, and then reflecting on that intention at the end. And then yes. start starting over again. <laughs> yeah. And way. this...
1: And this is the hack, how you can, I mean, because it's not enough for us to say, I'm going to be mindful all day long. That's so vague. I mean, we know from behavior change research, we need to be measurable and specific and time bound Mm. so that we can get traction. So this is the same thing that we're applying here. Interestingly, this was the psychological insight from thousands of years ago in Tibetan Buddhism, but it's ringing true and consistent with contemporary research that making these small chunked efforts is how we develop. It's how we grow. Hmm.
0: That is so brilliant. So for our three takeaways for the podcast today, I wanted to dive in a little bit more into the three, the three part um, process and have you give maybe some concrete ideas of how mothers can do it. So um, the first part is good in the beginning, which is setting an intention or making clear your purpose uh, which I do think could really change the work of motherhood from just managing children, getting them from place to place, etc., cetera, to having this bigger purpose or intention for why you're doing what you're doing. How, how does a mother find her purpose within motherhood?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important for us to have a clear vision of what we're about as parents, just like we would if we were working for an organization, you know, there'd be a mission statement and clarity about what the goals of our time spent there are. And I think that we are, pur- I know that we are purpose um, driven creatures. And I think part of what can be challenging for moms is the monotony of the work that we do when it doesn't feel tethered to our values and i think that i I definitely observe this and in parents who who keep um kind of a more joyful attitude about their parenting it's because they're actively making the connections um Mm. between you know the repeated tasks of you know making the snacks and feeding the kids and cleaning it up and getting them from point a to point b instead of sort of um feeling like this is just another repetition of the grind. If we can frame it for ourselves, is like these are the finite moments that we have together to have these high quality connections that are going to both nurture my kids and be the foundation for their ability to have joy and relationships in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And also for me, I don't want to miss these moments because I am not Valuing them. Um, that these, the cuddle that you described first thing in the morning, it's like, you know, sometimes time stretches when our kids are little. It seems like it'll be forever. But in reality, you know, we can do the math on how many morning cuddles we're going to get before they leave college. And I'm not oh. saying this to be alarming, but I think part of the reason it's helpful to reflect on that is if we know that it's precious, that it helps put the put the salience to taking each particular one seriously. Mm.
0: And so in that scenario, I mean, I was all over the place this morning, as I described <laughs> being a mindfulness expert. What would you advise me to do um, in that scenario with those various things I had going on?
1: Well, I loved how you described it. And I felt as you were describing it, a few things. One was that you, in your description, were aware of what you were thinking and feeling and the the tensions that were pulling you, um, you know, the bond between you and your kids, but also the work um, that you wanted to do. And in my mind, this is a big win. Starting with understanding and seeing clearly, that we have these different dynamics, that these different needs in a moment in time. And then if we can see that, then we can – that gives us the meta-awareness. It's like the psychological term for seeing, being aware of what we're aware of at the moment of time. So if we're aware that we're having um, these pulling threads, then we can make a decision – and, you know, be one thing at a time so we can have that hug and then we can be present to it and we can make a clear choice and communicate that to our kids. And I think then they, they feel the difference. A, qu- a quick moment of our full attention is nourishing for them. If we're mm-hmm. always divided in our attention, you know, if you were hugging while you were not aware that you were tense and distracted, your kids can experience you differently. So that's one of the things. It's subtle, right? But it's just knowing what we're feeling while we're feeling it so we can respond accordingly.
0: Mm -hmm. So that gives me a little bit of hope because in that scenario, I feel like, well, I wasn't paying total attention to my work and I wasn't paying total attention to my daughter, but I was for that 30 seconds that I really, I mean, when she came down, I was tr- genuinely very happy to see her and hugged her tight and snuggled her for a minute and gave her that 30 seconds. And then she, you know, swung around in my back, which is where she likes to be. And then I started working again and gave my work, my attention. And so was, was I being mindful in the, even though the, the, um, the times, sh- the time frames were short, I feel like I often think, well, I need to give her 30 minutes of my time for it to count. But even, does even 30 seconds count of good time?
1: I mean, that's what I believe. I mean, and I think that to answer the question of whether or not we're mindful, only we can answer whether we are aware of what we're thinking, feeling at a given moment in time. It sounds like you are. And I think in terms of the mindfulness practice, one thing that I am finding really helpful that I'm practicing with a lot now is to think in terms of high quality And this idea um, of savoring. So uh, savoring, just like we would
0: a delicious dessert, savoring that hug. So the first step is having your purpose or your intention be clear. And then the second is the practice of, you know, doing the thing of um, trying to live that intention well. Um, Tell me more about savoring. Like, do you have actual... Um, techniques that we can try to savor moments better?
1: So I think one of the really um, most accessible ways to savor a moment is to rest our attention in physical sensations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when we're in an embrace with our kid to like, instead of experiencing that embrace from the perspective of thoughts and being in our head, that we're we're intentionally moving our our attention, which is the definition of mindfulness, I most prefer the intentional use of attention, putting that in our bodies and Mm -hmm. connecting up with them, which I think is um, when we're physically embodied, we are present. And it is the best way to get into savoring, to get out of our heads and into our bodies and, and meet them where they are because especially little kids, like they're embodied creatures. It takes a lot of time for our, our patterns of getting stuck in our heads all the time. Mm. Um, when they're hugging, they're feeling our body. Mm. They're present in their body. So we're meeting them where they are. Um, and I think it, it supports that high quality attention Um, that we're both seeking.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a sister who struggled with severe postpartum depression and her um, therapist advised her that when she was in a really good moment with her baby to use all five senses to think through the five senses to notice the way that the baby's eyelashes looked to feel her body against her chest to listen to the breathing to really like use the five senses to go through them if she needed to to bring her into that moment to savor it so that it would in a way anchor her through maybe the rest of the day, that was really hard. If she could really lean into those wonderful moments with her five senses, which is exactly what you're saying, right? To put, uh, pay attention to our physical sensations.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, that amazing smell that, you know, our babies have, or as they get older, there, it's a little bit funky, but it's still like, (laughs) there are little animals. Like it's, um, I think that's exactly right. And I think some of the time, getting out of our heads or expectations about what we should be thinking and feeling and just being present with what we are physically experiencing and going through our senses. That's a great way of describing savoring. I love that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And can you, you threw it in there, but I wanted to have you bring it out again. What would, what is your favorite definition of mindfulness? It's the intentional use of attention. Okay. And unpack that a little bit for us the intentional use of attention. Sure. So,
1: you know, in the example we were just giving, it's, you know, if I'm having a cuddle with my kid, I'm intentionally keeping my attention on that cuddle. And our minds do wander. And so that's got to be part of how we understand mindfulness. Our minds wander 49% of the time. So that's a reality of the neuroscience of how we work, um, you know, in terms of our bodies and our minds. Mindfulness practice means just knowing that that's the way we are and getting really good at working with that. So knowing, you know, I'm going to be likely when I'm hugging my kid after a few moments and all of a sudden my mind's on my to-do list or on an awkward exchange I just had, you know, and that's part of what our minds are doing. And we get better and better at just saying, oh, my mind's like wandering off to the past, wandering off to the future. I'm going to bring it right back to this beautiful moment with my kid mm-hmm. or this challenging moment with my kid. If it's like, you know, my two boys like beating each other over the head, um, you know, <laughs> being intentionally present <laughs> with them and my discomfort with them and my frustration with them and my fear that I'm an inadequate mom and like feeling all of that in that moment rather than checking out.
0: Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit, too. You have a chapter in your book called The Wisdom of Emotions. And I assume that that's not just positive emotions. Um, It's easy to say, let's savor those great moments with our kids. But you also teach that we need to be aware of and present during what we would consider like our more negative emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. What's the benefit of that? And how do we do that?
1: Yeah, it. I think this is such an important one for us as moms, because there is like a lot that goes on, like nothing is going to stretch us more than our kids, um, you know, and we're going to get frustrated. And it's, you know, there's going to be these moments every day where things are real, it's a mess, and they're fighting, and we are at the end of our rope, but even though we want to be calm and nurturing. We're like, all of a sudden screaming like our mothers did or whatever. Um, And so there's a lot of uncomfortable things that are going to happen. The best way to metabolize difficult emotions is to feel them and to understand that that's part of the common humanity of being a mom and to see it as part of our path of not only growing for ourselves, but of teaching our kids how to be healthy havers of emotions too. And also knowing we'll mess up. Like, we just will. Like sometimes we'll argue with our partner or we'll respond to our kids in a way we're not proud of. And then that itself can be part of the process where we are transparent and say like, hey, I owe you an apology. And this, you know, mommy was really angry. And and I don't know that we need to refer to ourselves in third person, but I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mama was real angry. And, you know, and I use, you know,
0: unkind words. And, you know, and so now I'm want to talk this through. And this also reminds me of an article I read once that, um, redefined patience for me. She talked about how patience is a willingness to suffer. And she talked about her kid having a meltdown and how she wanted to get out of that moment because she was suffering (laughs) hearing the meltdown was making her suffer and so she want her instinct was to scream like stop it but instead she thought I have to stay in this moment with him and be willing to suffer and so she like sunk down on the ground next to him and and held him and said this is really hard to feel you know we both feel so overwhelmed right now this is hard like let's take deep breaths and let's Let's be in this moment and get through this moment rather than trying to escape the suffering by yelling at him or throwing him in his room or spanking. And I thought that that was brilliant to think about patience that way as a willingness to suffer.
1: Yes. And we're teaching our kids like emotions are big and they're hard and we can deal with them and we can be together with them. That's beautiful. I mean, that's such important work for us as adults and for them as kids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: To stay in the emotion, whether it's good or bad, and to feel it and move through it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then our third, um, your third step in this process is reflection. So we've set an intention, we've practiced the intention, maybe made some quote mistakes, recalibrated. um, And then at the end, to reflect back. And I like how you define this as this doesn't, I was thinking when I initially read the book that it was like, the whole day. Like you set an intention for the day and then you do the practice throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, you reflect. But I really like how you reframe that with just the experience of carpool, that it can be these smaller moments within the day. And that that perhaps is more accessible for, and it helps promote more change if you break it into those micro moments. Um, But with this reflection, how do you, how would you recommend that a mom do that? Is it something where like she sit down at the end of the day and, and journal, or is it just mental? Does, is it talking it out with your partner? What's a great way to reflect and continue this mindfulness in your life?
1: I love all the examples that you just gave, um, And, you know, I would just think in terms of like the art of the possible, because we're all busy. And if we say it's something that we're going to do when we journal, but we're not going to actually journal, then we're better (laughs) off saying like, okay, this is going to be, you know, something I do for a minute when I'm um, during, you know, when I'm putting my kids down for bed if I'm sitting with them or when I'm checking in with my partner. Um, And I like to build it actually for the kids as well into our dinner conversation. I won't do it every day, but it's a nice time to just go around the table and, you know, instead of a typical like highs and lows, which is still good to do, but just be like, hey, here's what I was working on today. And here's something I learned. And here was a challenge. And Um, Mm -hmm. what about you? And then, you know, it, it gets the kids to start
0: thinking, um, like that as well. Mm -hmm. And it gets them to start thinking about their processes and thinking about thinking, Yeah, which is really good to model. Well, thank you. This has been so helpful. Um, and I wanted you to have a chance to be able to tell listeners more about your work or where they can find more of you. So go ahead and do that.
1: Thank you. Um, so the best way for us to keep in touch is if you go to my website, you'll actually, if you're interested in this idea of refining your mission statement, I have a, um, a brief guide to going through that process on my homepage that you could grab um, and sign up for my newsletter. I send out research and tips, but like make it very, um, chunked and accessible. So it'll be like, oh, I read this article on self-compassion and here's how I'm thinking about, um, being able to apply it. Um, just little bites. So that, that's probably the best way to keep in touch. And then you'll hear articles and other, you know, opportunities to connect.
0: And it's, your website is dot Yes. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes for people. And then, of course, your book, to get your book, um, which again, again, I'll link it, but it's called How We Work, Live Your Purpose, Reclaim Your Sanity, and Embrace the Daily Grind. So um, I highly recommend the book. And I really appreciate the time that you've taken to redefine what mindfulness and meditation are for our listeners. Thank you so much, Dr. Weiss. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Okay, moms, are we ready to start meditating now? I love the way that Dr. Leah Weiss defines meditation or redefines meditation as simply getting to know our minds and hearts. We can do that. Even in the midst of busy mothering, we can become more reflective, mindful people who are getting to know our minds and hearts and thinking about the way that we think every single day. And to do that, all you have to do is follow the Domp Assume process, which was our three takeaways for today. So takeaway one is step one of this process, which is to set an intention according to the result that we'd like to achieve. And then step two is to do it, to go through that activity with that intention in mind and to recalibrate where needed, and to try to stay focused on that intention. And step three is then to reflect on how it went, and to learn from it, and then we can start over again, and set a new intention. And I loved what she said in the interview about how this can be with moments and experiences and short blocks of time within the day as a mother, so that we don't feel like the we have to set an intention for the entire day. So a great example of that for me is I recently went to the park with my kids and I decided that I wanted to be really present with them and so I consciously chose to leave my phone at home and not take it with me so that I wouldn't be tempted to be on my phone at the park. Now, I could have said I won't use my phone at all the entire day, and that would have been great too, but I started smaller than that and said, I will not have my phone with me on this outing with my family. That was my intention, and then when we were at the park, I I did it. I was very present. I actually got on the swings and um, did the spider with my daughter on the swing, my three-year-old daughter, and it was the most precious experience of my motherhood that I've had in probably a month or two Um, as we were doing the spider on the swing and we were flying up into the sky and her blonde hair was framed against that bright blue sky and I could look right into her eyes and she was giggling with glee Um, I, I mean my attention was so focused in that moment and my five senses were active and I was in my body with her there And I felt so much love and I felt my heart bursting. And then as we continued to swing, she got kind of sleepy from the motion and she laid her head on my chest and just rested against me. And she's not normally a snuggler. And it was so precious. And so step three, being reflecting on that moment, I thought, wow, that was so worth doing that totally refilled my motherhood soul and that is something that I wanna do again in the future. I want to leave my phone at home when I go on outings with my kids and not just sit on the sidelines but actually get up and interact with them and swing with them or be a part. So that is my own little experience with "dampasum," meaning good in the beginning, good in the middle and good in the end and it made a huge difference in my day and I've continued to think on that moment in the weeks since it happened. I hope that you follow this process throughout this week, picking moments or experiences when you want to be extra intentional and extra attentive with your children or with your work, whatever it is that you spend your time doing. I'm so grateful that you're here and I hope that you have a beautiful, mindful week with your families.